May only truth be spoken here and only truth be heard in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Y'all know that I had time to think, to rethink my sermon in, in, during the second two hallelujahs. So I'm going to do something completely different. <laughs> Just teasing. All right. So I didn't, I didn't completely rethink it. We had a really special day in the Diocese of New York yesterday. Um, our new bishop, uh, Matthew Hyde, was officially installed as the 17th Bishop of New York. Um, he was consecrated as a bishop at last May, and some of us were there at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine for that. Um, but the installation is when that new bishop officially receives from their predecessor the signs and symbols of the authority to take on the role as the chief priest and pastor of a diocese. And so from now on, today, we have a new bishop diocesan. Max said, do you have a new boss? And I said, no, because my boss is Jesus. <laughs> but on this earth, yes, I have a new boss. Um, and it was a day that brought many people, not only from across the Episcopal Church, but also from many different faiths, uh, many different uh, expressions of Christianity together into the cathedral for prayer and for song. And, and it was a day, Lillian was there, Deirdre May was there, uh, some of you who are with us on Zoom, like Eric, were also there online yesterday. Um, it was a day that was renewing and exciting. And I think you're going to continue to see the signs of that in this year and in the year ahead. Um, because St. James is part of a wider community of Christians called the Episcopal Diocese of New York. And God is so visible and tangible in our diocese right now. And I think you're going to begin to see how God's Holy Spirit is working for our renewal, not only here, but across the churches and the communities of this diocese. One of the questions that the preacher at the service yesterday asked was a quote from my seminary professor and advisor, Dr. James Cohn. And Dr. Cohn would often ask us, what does the church have to say to the world today? What does the church have to say to the world today? Does the church have anything to say to the world today? To a world that is hurting, to a world that is in need of healing, as our presiding bishop says, to this tired old world, this tired old world. Does the church have anything to say? And yesterday, I felt sure, yes, the church has so much to say. We have a gospel of healing and renewal. And there are days, many in this church, in our community, where I feel so sure and so excited and so hopeful because I know that we have something to say to the world today. We have something that the world today needs to hear. And there's something very powerful about being in an institution when it is renewing, when it has a new beginning, when you see 
the signs of authority passed from one leader to the next. And we see the succession, the presence of the Holy Spirit passing to the present generation. And we are the present generation. It's for us to be part of what God has to say to the world today through the church, which is the body of Christ. And so that is where I want to start with today's gospel. It occurred to me, maybe because we're in this time of transition, diocesan renewal, we had a wonderful vestry retreat just a week ago where we talked about how this vestry has been called here to tend to the legacy of the generations of the church that built what we have now and to tend to the vision that will ensure that this church is here for the generations that will come after us. So there's renewal, there's connection of the past and the future of the church, both here locally and on a wider level. And the gospel today just happens to give us an example of what that looks like. Because we have Jesus today on a mountaintop. And his face is transfigured. And the glory of God is visible. Just as on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, when he is baptized, remember the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends on him. And God says, this is my beloved son. So too today, on the last Sunday after the Epiphany, the heavens open and God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus has something to say to the world today. And when his glory is revealed, he is standing with his ancestors and with the generations who will follow him. We often notice, yes, he's standing with Moses and Elijah, but he's also standing with his apostles. He's standing with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. So he has with him both the generations that preceded him and the generations that will continue his message, even to our day. You probably heard at one time or another that Moses and Elijah can be understood to represent the law and the prophets, and that Jesus is the inheritor of these legacies of God's people. These are people who were with God's people in the most crucial forming of their identity. Moses, who appears by Jesus' side, is the one who was called by God to lead God's people, the people of Israel, out of slavery into freedom. 
Moses is the one to whom God gave the commandments that would shape the lives of God's people for generations and generations through exiles and wars and oppression would hold them together as God's people. Moses is the person who led the people of Israel through the wilderness that tested them and reminded them of their belonging to God as God's people, connected them to the promise that God had made to Abraham. And then we have Elijah, the first of the prophets, who are that great cloud of witnesses who were always sent by God from one generation to the next to call God's people back into right relationship with God. God's people don't always want to hear it, but God is always sending prophets to pull us back to our center, to bring us back to our belonging to God. So when Jesus stands on that mountaintop, and his glory is revealed. He is with his ancestors, with the people who brought God's people together, who held them accountable from one generation to the next. And Jesus walks their walk, and Jesus' ministry is shared with them. And then the disciples, the apostles. Remember, Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock, you, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Peter's no rock. That guy is always falling away. This is the guy who betrayed Jesus. Not one time, but three. Nevertheless, he is with Jesus. He sees the glory of Jesus. And he is the first in a line of succession to inherit the ministry, the calling of Jesus, to bring it from one generation to the next, across the millennia, even to us. So when we hear about the transfiguration, it connects us across time and space. We too share in the vision of the glory of God. And just as Jesus charges his disciples to go forth, to proclaim the good news, to bring healing and renewal to the world, that ministry belongs to us. If Jesus is on the mountaintop with both his ancestors and the ones who inherit his ministry, and we are all bound together by that moment, here's the invitation. I have level one, and then the opportunity to go even a little deeper. Think about who are your ancestors? Who brought you here? Who taught you what you have to teach others? 
very likely if you're here, you're a ministry leader at St. James. Who taught you to do what you're able to do here? Who showed you the way? The invitation is to remember them and then to say, who are the people that are my successors? And how am I teaching them to share in the ministry that I lead, to share, to do what I do? What have I received as a gift from my ancestors that I can pass on? That's level one. And for any institution to survive, we have to be able to teach each other. This is how to be an usher. This is how to be an acolyte. This is how to keep the books of the church. This is how to flip the pancakes at the pancake supper. We have to be able to share those ministries. Someone taught us how to flip the pancakes. We can share that with someone else. And I think we'll find that if that is our practice, as it was Jesus' practice, to share the ministry, we will find that deeper level, which is who brought you here? Who gave you your faith? Who taught you about God's love? Who made it real for you? Who are the people that introduced you to the God who would save your life? And in turn, who are you introducing to the God who will save their life? Who are you sharing what you have found with? Who are you bringing into the community of belonging to God? Because Jesus' ministry was always about honoring, belonging to God's people and bringing more people into it. And if we have come to know the God whose love saved our lives, then we have an invitation to be sharing that. I want you to imagine yourself on that mountaintop. Who's with you? has their hands on your shoulders. Who taught you? Who gave you the gift of God's love? And who is with you? You are sharing that with now in this generation. This is how the church has something to say to the world. From one generation to the next, it's through each of us. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, Moses and Elijah fall away. Even the disciples and their fear, Mark says, there was only Jesus. Only Jesus. The church lives from one generation to the next, but the church is called to be a vehicle for the sharing of the renewal that comes from loving God. If we do our work right, at the end of our lives, 
everything we see is only Jesus, the love of God revealed here on earth. Everything we have done for the church is only Jesus, because we are the body of Christ. From one generation to the next, we have something to say. And the world is ready to hear it. Amen.